This week's Star Trek Discovery recap is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up your first date, that luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer long. Well, while you can't put a price tag on your stories now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell it or to trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop right up. Then answer a few questions, navigation and moonroof. Watch as they bump up your car's value. High mileage, you already knew it was going to cost you, but now you can know how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you could take to a local certified dealer to cash out or to trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer not available in all areas. Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 3, Point of Light, is over. But we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lease. You can call me Mother. <laughs> and I may or may not have a co-host with me tonight. I'm still not entirely convinced he's not a sentient fungus that's been activated by dark matter. But regardless, back with us this week is Rob Sesternino. Hey, hey. Shut up. Shut up. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. No, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what you have to say. I'm busy. I'm, oh my God. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, uh, I wasn't talking to you, Jess. I, w- I was, I, I was, uh, it's so hard to explain. It was your dead friend from middle school, Robin. Yes. To the best of us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jess, how are you? Um, I'm great, Rob. Um, I'm very excited to talk about this episode because I feel like we were overwhelmingly positive for the first couple of episodes, and I think we might have a few quibbles. With this one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, uh, bring it on. Let's go. <laughs> well, I think we're back to form, um, which I guess, based on the reaction across the internet back to form could either be a good thing or a bad thing. It seemed like the first two episodes were very classic Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of back in this discovery mode of lengthy plot arcs. And we went back to the Klingon world for some reason. Oh, yeah. And Spock is apparently a psychopathic killer. And mm-hmm. there's just so much to unpack this episode, Rob. I think there's kind of three big buckets of content we can go to but i wanted to start with the with the idea that we're kind of getting back into a serialized format rather than sort of a planet of the week thing that it looked like we might have been leaning toward in the previous episode yeah i mean it's going to they're going to arc they're going to have a big arc over the course of the season this is not the star trek that uh we grew up with but uh you know uh, i you know uh, i feel like that we're invested in the mystery of the uh, red angel red angel and spock it's all going to come together yeah red angel didn't move very much this week though <sighs> 
Yeah, well, I guess that we got a little bit more in terms of the the, uh, the, the Red Angels connection with whatever happened with Michael Burnham and, and Spock and how does the Red Angel tie into all of this. Uh, I guess uh, is, is the Red Angel potentially, does that have anything to do with the meteorite? Is that is that a possibility? Could we tie that into everything like the like the ghoul that uh, the fungus that was in, uh, you know, inhabiting Tilly? Could that have to do with the Red Angel? I think it's supposed to all be interconnected. And I think that's what we're going to be eventually moving like the mycelial toward. network. Yeah, I think it's all supposed to be part of the same thing. And I'm not sure how much you were able to hear about my conversation with Mike Bloom last week, but we talked a little bit about there's an alien race that may come into play here. Um, this is a fan theory that I've seen floated about. There's a species called the Iconians, and they are hmm. mythical, um, non-canon depictions of them look a lot like the Red Angel. And their whole thing was that they were able to travel through space and time without, without the use of spaceships. And this is what I think a lot of people assume we're building toward, although I've not heard any mention of them outside of like very geeky fan circles. Have you caught the, uh, like the silhouette of the angel in the credits? Yeah, that, that'd be pretty hard to miss. Yeah. It's sort of like, they they draw it on the screen like the Vitruvian Man. Yeah, we're really all in on the angel at this point. I guess so. I hope we're I hope we're not moving toward a Star Trek Five sort of situation here. What does God need with a starship? <laughs> yeah, it, it turns out angels are real, and that's a whole different show. Um, I think it was on in the eighties and had Michael Landon in it, and I kind of <laughs> don't need it. <laughs> yes, uh, I feel like that you know more about Highway to Heaven than anybody else that I talk to. <laughs> that I know that it exists. Yes, yes. Because of- <laughs> I've done thousands of podcasts, and the only Highway to Heaven references that have ever been made are when I podcast with you. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess I could have gone the route of um, you know Mrs. Mark Burnett. We could have ah, talked about touch- Touched by an Angel. Yes, but- or the uh, Buffy uh, spinoff. I don't think there were any actual angels in that. I think the guy's name was just Angel. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't think that counts. Not a uh, Chris Angel mind freak? God, let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Jess, I feel like that there there was uh, one really badass thing that happened in the episode. Um, which badass thing are you talking about? Uh, I want to talk about uh, Emperor Giorgio. Okay, well, we can start with the Klingons. I think we kind of had an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot here. And if we want to call the Klingons the A plot, I think that's okay. Um, but I got to be honest, that whole Giorgio thing, that really felt backdoor piloty to me. Yes, well, I think that that's what because we know she's getting the, what is it, Section 31 spinoff? Yeah, is she taking Ash Tyler with her to Section 31? I don't know. I, I really I was waiting to see in the preview if we're going to see more of her. But I don't know if that scene just existed to sort of be its own standalone backdoor pilot or if she is going to tie into the plot for the rest of the season. It almost felt like she was lifting Ash Tyler out of the series and taking him with her to her own series. And then if we want to see either one of them, we have to go to that series. Yeah, well, the freaks are more fun. 
That's what I've been told. Mm-hmm. And Ash Tyler looks like he's about to move to Long Island City and start a brewery. <laughs> Are we tying this into uh, Fear the Walking Dead? It, you know, he's got that hipster look to him now. Mm-hmm. I think, like, maybe if he's Klingon, he's got to brew blood wine, but he definitely would not look out of place in any sort of hipster market. Yeah. So you're not digging the new look for Ash Tyler? Well, my opinion is not important. Lorel kind of digs it, I think, and that was the only important thing. Yeah. Just I have to say that and, and I, I may not be the most hardcore Star Trek Discovery fan that's out there, but uh, the whole Ash Tyler plot by the end of the season and, and they really gave you like, you know, five minutes of previously on that. Uh, it was a little lost on me in terms of Ash Tyler versus Vok versus what exactly was going on here and why he was back with the Klingons. Well, there was the whole resolution of the Klingon war at the end of all of that, he played a role in it that he thought was pivotal. And he said, I, I now need to be in touch with my Klingon side and go back with Laurel to resolve all of these internal Klingon struggles and strife. And she appointed him her torchbearer, mm-hmm. which I guess is some sort of symbolic role where he has to be with her all the time. And they are... Now, I don't think they are romantically together in any sense because their relationship is hella complicated. But it got even more complicated this episode because I feel like for a while I thought I was watching a Klingon telenovela. Yeah, I mean, we had like a whole love triangle and a baby and uh, yeah, this got uh, this like uh, bring Maury Povich out. I, or, it was like we were watching improv. They were like, yes, anding each other. Like, yes, and I have a baby. And yes, and I let someone else carry it for me because I wasn't going to do that. And by the way, this is like, this seems like advanced technology for this particular era. And I know it's not the first time in history that we have seen someone else serve as a surrogate for a pregnancy. It certainly happened in Deep Space Nine quite famously, but Deep Space Nine is like a hundred years off at this point. Mm -hmm. Are we meant to believe that in the future women can just decide to carry a baby or not and just like beam the baby into someone else? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, uh, do you want to, do you want to literally carry the baby or do you want to just like, uh, put the baby somewhere and then live your life and then come back and then, uh, see how it went? Apparently you just keep it in a basket in your closet and yeah. like, go and check in on it every so often. And that was a very quiet baby. <laughs> it was a very well-behaved baby. And that, I mean, the one downside was that Laurel said like, oh, that that's why he's small. Because uh, that that's that's why. By the way, uh, was that not like the worst uh, like uh, prosthetic baby that you've ever seen? <laughs> I watched. Well, I watched part of this episode on my phone, and it looked okay there. But mm-hmm. I think any bigger screen than that, and it definitely looks like a CPR dummy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like painted blue with a couple of little ridges stuck on its forehead. 
Yeah, especially like when they had it, like the like when they were showing like that it was kidnapped, like in the hologram, like uh, that that doll looked real plastic. Yeah, it's like in the really cheap, in like cheap sketch shows when they have a baby and it's just like a bunch of blankets wound around a football. <laughs> Honestly, the the baby head looked more real than the whole baby. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, the baby, uh, was a big, was a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out that this baby that nobody knew about (laughs) turns out to be very, very important for the 30 seconds that we see it. And I don't know. I feel like we knew during that whole scene where she's flinging the heads around and talking and like, giving her Daenerys Targaryen speech, mm-hmm. pretty much knew that that was not what was actually happening. Am I am I wrong here? Are we were we meant to believe for a second that she beheaded Ash Tyler and she beheaded the baby? I mean, I can't imagine one viewer of the show felt like that. Like, oh wow, I can't believe it that she she decapitated Ash Tyler and her baby. Yeah, I mean, the show gets dark, but I feel like we don't go so dark that there's an actual decapitated baby. Right, right. But I guess that uh, people probably thought that she was like a pretty badass for uh, for doing that, right? Yeah, and I guess we're at the point where they said, you know, you have to choose. You can't be, you can't have the happy family if you want to still be chancellor. And since you have to be chancellor, you got to put on a show and... Yeah, I think the second she pulled those heads out, we're like, oh, those are some fake-ass heads. And I can't believe that every Klingon in the room wasn't like, yeah, those are some fake-ass heads. You would think that she was not the first uh, Klingon politician to pull out some fake heads. I would guess that deep fakes are kind of a thing (laughs) in the future. Even amongst the Klingons, though? Especially amongst the Klingons. I feel like the the Romulans be more likely to pull out a deep fake than the Klingons. Mm, a deep fake. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the Cardassians. The Cardassians they uh, they are yeah. they're, they're the uh, the kings of the deep fake. Yeah, the the Romulans didn't make the fake. They were on the fake. <laughs> but this is a. I, the Klingon deep fakes, I guess, are made of heads. Like they involve like severed body parts and people waving things around and and lots of gore and blood and stuff. Yeah, they're not digital. <laughs> no, they're they're not. Uh, but there is a lot of espionage that happens, I guess, in the uh, Klingon Empire, including spy paint. Spy paint is a new one on me, but I thought for a second we were just having a lot of really heavy-handed symbolism about, like, Ash not being able to wash the blood off his hands. Yeah. But no, it turns out it's special spy paint. Well, I thought he was being poisoned. I thought that that's what it was going to be. I thought the reveal was going to be like, uh, you touched my red paint, and little do you know that it's actually a pathogen for humans. I, I... that is as plausible as anything that actually happened. Mm-hmm. But it certainly could have been any number of things. And it certainly – I didn't know what why exactly they were trying to lampshade that until we actually got the explanation. Mm-hmm. And I guess spy paint's pretty cool. That's like something I think I would not be surprised to see it in the next James Bond movie. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, Jess, uh, how did uh, Emperor Giorgio know that she needed to get in there? Um, well, I think she had infiltrated them. I think, and I'm, I don't quote me on this 100%, like someone's going to at me if I'm wrong about this. I think she was present in some of these earlier scenes, like earlier group scenes with the Klingons. I think she's there. Ah. Uh. So she's been there, like she's working the long con here. She has infiltrated the Klingons and she is, you know, disguised as a Klingon with the Section 31 deepfake technology. And she was monitoring that whole situation the whole time we were watching it. Because she's a Klingon when she first shows up and then for then she goes back to Georgia. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She's a she is disguised as a Klingon in like some kind of digital cloaking thing. I thought that CGI was kind of cool when she hits the button and turns back into herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean that was really badass when she uh showed up. What was the Klingon guy? Like what what was the, the he had like the little like batleth that uh shot out like uh electricity out of both sides that was like made Ash Tyler and Laurel frozen, but I didn't really understand what was happening to them. Um, I think it was like, I think it was like tasing them mm-hmm. and it was, they were paralyzed, but they were still like, apparently Laurel had to sign the iPad with her <laughs> biometric signature by putting her fingerprint on the thing. And so they needed, she needed to be alive for that to happen, but they could like force her hand if she was paralyzed. Hmm. Okay. It's like setting your phaser to stun. I guess you can also set your batleth to stun. Yeah, uh, seems like a loophole that the Klingon Apple should have been able to uh, figure out by now. Well, this is one thing I think the Star Trek universe struggles with constantly is we already in 2019 have a lot of technology that is better mm-hmm. than what 1967 Star Trek and even 1987 Star Trek had envisioned for people 300 years into the future. Mm -hmm. And now that this is like a prequel series, it's even harder for them to make the universe look cool and future-y without making it make the previous series look cheesy and dated. Yeah. I think this is something they constantly struggle with. And so there are cool things like this, like – Giorgio's weird Klingon disguise, like this biometric iPad signature thing, like the Batleth that can stun, like the unexplained, I chose not to carry my baby, and that's apparently Mm -hmm. just a thing that happens. These are all really futuristic ideas that seem like they're far advanced from the 23rd century stuff that we've already seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very fair. Fair points. And so I think at a certain point, especially this goes back to the thing with the Klingons that are bumpy and not bumpy and they don't discuss it with outsiders. You kind of just have to roll with it at a certain point and just decide that this is how they're choosing to stage this moment in the future history. Yeah. Uh, Just how do you think that it is going to play uh, with the Klingon High Council when uh, this guy Cole Shaw, is that his name? Yeah, it was Cole something. When he shows up at the Klingon High Council with an iPad that says, uh, Lorel is dead, but before she died, she did 
uh, sign off on this iPad contract saying that I am the new leader of the Klingon High Council. Well, that's why Lorel had to make her big entrance. <laughs> Just to roll back in with a baby head. Yeah. And be like, yeah, I was coerced and now I've got a baby head. So y'all got to listen to me. <laughs> yeah. But oh, wait, they already got the signed, uh, like emailed iPad uh, document. Well, if he if he put it up into the cloud as soon as she signed it. I think she can then go back and say, no, I was coerced. It didn't seem like it went into the cloud because she said that, that he died uh, trying to help her. Yeah, I think he must not have put it up into the cloud. Mm -hmm. I think it looked like she hit the thing and then it went dark. Maybe there was no Wi-Fi where they were. Yeah, I don't know if it went up into the cloud then or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so, you know, always a lesson to the Klingons that are out there. You know, you want to, uh, you know, store those files where in, you could either have them in the cloud, Dropbox, maybe. You got to do regular backups because if you get, if you coerce somebody into signing over the Klingon Empire to you and you don't back it up to the cloud, they could kill you before that goes into effect. I think that's the lesson we got to learn here. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is such an interesting question, Jess, of that uh, is, is Ash Tyler, was he one and done here? He might well have been one and done. I think maybe, I think maybe they were struggling with a way to spin him off into the other show. I would not be surprised to see him as like Giorgio's second banana when her show comes out and maybe that was just their way of putting him into that universe and tying up all these loose ends but it sure seemed like a lot of Klingon side plot that had nothing to do with the main plot mm -hmm. it was a lot of juice it was a lot of squeeze for very little juice <laughs> yeah all right so that's uh, something else that bears watching here uh, in the season if we come back to these guys yeah I can't see I can't see a plausible way that works. Um, I think maybe we're bidding farewell to Ash Tyler on Discovery. Yeah. The big question is, is he in the credits this season? I don't think he is. I think I think we've already noticed his absence from the credits. Hmm. All right. I have to say, wasn't really missing him. Yeah, I can't say that I was either. Mm. Uh, he was all right, I guess. Fine. Uh, but I think... How much more can we learn about him before it becomes ridiculous and surreal? Mm -hmm. Not much more. He had, he had such a bonkers story in the first season, and I really enjoyed it. I was really here for it. But what are you going to have to do this season to top that? Yeah. It's like you're going to have to bring in a bunch of 12-year-old girls to write fan fiction with him as their Mary Sue character <laughs> in order for it to get weirder. And I don't think anybody wants that. <laughs> What's the Mary Sue character? You don't know about Mary Sue? No, who's Mary Sue? Rob, this is like this is like sci-fi fandom 101. Mhm. Mm um uh, Mary Sue is the catch-all term for a character that is just too good at everything. Mhm. Mm um and it's kind of named after I don't I can't remember the exact origins of the name, but the idea is that Mary Sue is when you're writing fan fiction, you write this character that's supposed to stand in for you. And, you know, she's good at everything. She's better than Spock at science. And she's a better doctor than Bones. And she falls in love with Kirk and Spock. And they're both fighting for her affections because she's so beautiful. And a Mary Sue character is somebody that's just, like, too good for everything. Mm. 
and not good storytelling because of her perfectness. Okay. I hear that. That's what Mary Sue is. And Got I guess it. that's probably helpful for the three listeners on this podcast who are Star Trek fans and have never heard of Mary Sue. Okay. Got it. So there you go. Um, and a lot of – if you read a lot of fan fiction, which I'm not saying I do, but I may have at one point in my life, mm-hmm. you get to a point where the – Characters in the universe where you're reading the fan fiction, like, all of a sudden, weirder and weirder things are happening to them. Like, they're a species from, they're like half Klingon and half Vulcan, but their third grandmother was an Andorian, so they have beautiful flowing white hair, but they fight like a Klingon, and they're smart like a Vulcan. And just, like, convoluted backstory is also a hallmark of a Mary Sue. (laughs) Okay. So I'm just saying we'd have to get that weird in order to top what happened to Ash Tyler last season. <laughs> and I don't think they're prepared to go that weird. Probably not. And then if they don't do that and they keep him around, then he's just like another dude. And that's no fun either. Right. Uh, the only thing he had going for him was that he was Michael Burnham's love interest. Right. But that also got weird. And I think I can't see... Any way the two of them get back together after everything they've been through. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that was an awkward phone call. It was very awkward. And then uh, even more awkward when Laurel was asking uh, about, like, oh, oh, why do you have to call Michael Burnham? I've been checking yeah. your phones. This also felt very telenovela. <laughs> why are you calling your ex? Isn't there anybody else in the world that you trust? And why do you trust No, baby, it's not like that. It's just that I needed to call her. It's, it, was wor- it was for work. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that I'm necessarily here for a whole season of that either. Mm-hmm. And I think you bring Ash Tyler back into that mix. You have to keep going there. And I don't really want to go there. I think we've we've exhausted the possibilities of Ash Tyler in this universe. And if they want to put him in Section 31 yeah, with Giorgio, fine. that's fine. Ash Tyler, I just told you about your baby, and the first thing you do is call your (laughs) ex-girlfriend? No. No. It wasn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) We're just friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, this whole Klingon subplot, I could have cut it out of the whole episode and it wouldn't have made much of a difference to me would you have sucked it out with like a uh, giant uh portable like a uh, ghostbuster machine nice segue <laughs> I definitely would have done that i couldn't decide if this was more ghostbuster machine or harry potter dementor hmm uh, yeah, I, I I did feel like that this was Ghostbuster uh, ask more so because of then like the thing then did fly around the room a la Slimer. Yeah, it definitely did that. And can we talk about how weird it was that Stamets immediately is like, oh, that's what's happening to you. And I've got just the device for it. And he just whips out this device out of nowhere that happens to be, oh, yeah, you know, here's the thing we do when somebody's taken over by a sentient parasitic fungi. We just get this parasitic fungi machine and we suck it out of them. Yeah. He's like, like uh, hold on. Right this is going to hurt. I'm like, wait, what? What's happening? Is this something that they do all the time? Yeah. No, Why uh, have we never seen this. I did not love the uh, the uh, the fungal possession uh, storyline. 
Yeah, I'm okay with it if it ends here, although previews suggest that it does not end. It does not, yeah. what is this what is ha- what is happening here I-, I was so confused i was like oh wait hold on is this going back to the short treks is this the same thing that tilly was talking to because this plot is very similar to the short treks right yeah you're not wrong <laughs> like wait you're telling me that like tilly has had two imaginary friends recently yeah, and what if, like, I'm surprised nobody's bringing this up. You know, Tilly, you started screaming to yourself in the middle of an exercise on the bridge. And, you know, like a month ago, you trashed the dining hall for no reason. I, I think I think she's getting very close to her third strike. <laughs> like, I mean, that I, I don't know if the short treks are, are not canon, but I just feel like that, that Tilly's having like a rough stretch here. Oh, Rob, don't open that Pandora's box again. <laughs> we got yelled at about insinuating that the short treks were not canon. Short treks absolutely are canon. Okay, fair fair enough. Well, Tilly, uh, I think that maybe she might need to uh, be uh, going to the same facility that Spock might be at. Well, I hear there's an opening on Starbase 5 because Spock got loose. Yes, yes. Uh, very, very sad news to hear about Spock. This is not the Spock that I know. This is not the Spock. Hashtag not my knows. Spock. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a darker and more sinister Spock. But I have to say, I thought that all of this Vulcan psychology stuff and this whole Spock backstory thing, they got to start tying up some loose ends real quick because this is a big, hot mess. <laughs> This contradicts itself all over the place. I do not understand what is going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which part? Which, which part do you want to drill down on? The Spock uh, at the facility or the Michael Burnham backstory? Let's. Well, this all ties into each other because we can start with Spock at the facility. Um, Spock being diagnosed a psychopath because he has no empathy. It's like he's a Vulcan. Vulcans are driven by logic, not empathy. And the two things sometimes can coexist, but I feel like we've spent a lot of time in the Star Trek universe talking about how Spock only sees the most logical solution to everything, and he really does not care what you think of it. Yes. And that's not classic psychopath behavior. That's just being a freaking Vulcan. So why is it all of a sudden a problem? And why are why is every Vulcan in Starfleet not being diagnosed as a psychopath? OK, well, first off, that uh, the technical term is extreme empathy deficit. Um, are, are there are there other Vulcans serving in Starfleet at this time? I thought that Starfleet was full of Vulcans. I thought that Vulcans were like founding members of the Federation and very instrumental in Starfleet. Mm, yeah, they don't seem to be widely uh, at least uh, I, I don't haven't spotted another one on the Discovery crew. No, I think there's Spock like, seemed to be the only one on the original Enterprise. I think sometimes and this I have to look up because there was a point in the Deep Space Nine universe mm-hmm. where – I don't know if you ever saw this episode, Rob, but it's pretty fun and you should check it out sometime. I think you'd dig it. Um, where they play a baseball game. Yes. The crew of Deep Space Nine plays a baseball game against a bunch of Vulcans. Yes. And I do not remember – Famous Vulcans, episode. Yeah. I, I actually – I own a T-shirt that's of the Niners mm-hmm. uh, with the baseball logo on it, but – 
I do not recall if that Vulcan team was Starfleet or if they were a Vulcan independent science vessel, but there was much made of the ship was mostly Vulcans. And that makes me wonder if Starfleet is sometimes sort of racially stratified in that manner where the Vulcans want to be on a ship with lots of other Vulcans. Hmm. Yeah. Which would seem to go against the Starfleet principles of like unity and being kind of a melting pot, which most of the ships we see, there's a fair number of humans, but there's also like all kinds of other weird aliens. Well, maybe that Starfleet does not necessarily like uh, being like fully logic based is not like uh, the, uh, you know, best traits required for commanding, you know, a Starfleet vessel, whereas being like on a science ship, they can use a lot of Vulcans in that way. Yeah, I think there are a lot of Vulcan science officers. Mm hmm. Maybe not so many Vulcan helmsmen. <laughs> not a ton. Jess, can I add one thing that kind of uh, annoys me? We, we, that uh, you and I talked two weeks ago about like the sneezing Gorn on the elevator. Does it bother <laughs> you at all that the uh, Star Trek Discovery crew is often like some Star Wars cantina of people that are like all these alien races that we've never seen before in the Star Trek universe? I just think it's sort of problematic that none of them, except for Saru, none of them have actual lines or names or anything. Or seem to be able to speak the same language that anybody else speaks. Yeah, and sometimes I know that's down to, and again, not to make this all about Deep Space Nine, but like the whole reason that Morn never got any lines in Deep Space Nine was because the costume didn't have a moving mouth. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what some of it is, but it's like you're CGIing everything else. You, you know, you put half as much effort into one of these alien people as you did into your stupid fake ass baby. <laughs> maybe some of these people could. <laughs> have a line or two and make one of them have a little bit more to do. That would be all right. Mm -hmm. But as it is, it's like you have the main cast that look like humans that have rich inner lives and conversations with each other. And then you have these guys off in the corner that go bleep, bleep, bleep. Mm -hmm. And they get like one line per episode. And I feel like I want to see a little more diversity in the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like there's there's a lot of people that are just like uh, th thrown in there because they look cool. Like, uh, I really feel like that, you know, most of the bridge crew. Yeah, even though they all got name checked recently, I still don't know. Like, there's like a robot that's uh, <laughs> works on that's, the. I don't think she's a robot. I'm not sure what her deal is. Her name is Lieutenant Arium. Yeah. And what and is she? I don't know what she is, but if she does <laughs> she's not, not a robot. If she does not get her own episode sometime this season, I am going to be really upset because I need to know more about her. She can't be a robot because she's not – I would think you'd have to be – you'd have to be like at least three-quarters of the way up to Data levels to be able to serve in Starfleet. And Data, as you know, had a lot of limitations and – I really don't feel like we're up to the point in the future history where a robot could be serving in Starfleet. I mean, every time I see that person, I say, like, uh, is that a, is there a robot that they just don't talk about on Discovery? She looks like the robot from Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> yeah. 
So I don't know. Uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to know what's going on there. I am as well. I really, this is like when Taylor Cotter and I were doing the Orange is the New Black podcast, the beginning of every season, we would talk about who do we need to see a flashback episode from? And I really feel like the answer to who do we need to see a flashback episode from on Star Trek Discovery, we really want to see Lieutenant Ariam. Yeah, I'm looking on Memory Alpha and she's a female Starfleet science officer. So she's not a robot. No, no, I'm saying she's not. I don't know why she's shiny, but it's not because she's a robot. Mm hmm. Um, okay. I mean, she's, does, uh, looks very much like a robot. Maybe she's just really, really into the steampunk aesthetic. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. So, uh, yeah. Uh, apologies to Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Ariam. Yeah. Not a robot. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to Spock. Yes. Because I feel like I have more to say about Spock. First of all, a lack of empathy would seem to be a trait that every Vulcan has. That's yeah. there's that's one thing. Uh, just can I just thing. also can I add one other thing that uh, yeah. that uh, also Lieutenant Ariam has been played by two different actresses so far. Oh, that's right. They took one <laughs> of the actresses and um, gave her another role where she's out of makeup. <laughs> yeah. So, so not a robot, but a different person is playing Lieutenant Ariam now. Yeah, the first Ariam is going to show up as a fully human character at some point this season. She's like, can I not be in robot makeup? Yeah, and, they, and apparently she's got enough pull that this was a request that was granted. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I, do, I don't mean to interrupt, Jess. All right. That's all right. That was that was an important point to make, and I'm glad you made it. Mm-hmm. So that's thing number one with Spock, is that lack of empathy is a Vulcan thing. Thing number two is we spent a lot of time with Amanda this episode talking about how hard it was for her to be withholding to Spock and not be a true mother to him because Sarek was so consumed with raising Spock to be a good Vulcan. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we learn already this season that Sarek actually brought a human child into the house so that Spock could learn how to be more human? How are mm. these two things coexisting? This is sloppy writing. <sighs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know how to get around that one. Um, they, yeah, they brought a, a, a human child to the house to teach Spock how to have more empathy, right? That, I believe that's exactly what he said. But then didn't want Amanda to be emotional. Is it possible that he did not uh, tell Amanda to be emotional, to be emotionless? I guess it's possible. And she just sort of like uh, that this was a miscommunication between Sarek and Amanda. I feel like Sarek and Amanda would have had this conversation. It's like a little gift of the Magi where he's trying to do stuff to teach the kids to be more human. And and she thinks that he wants the kids to be more Vulcan. Well, I guess that's cute if that's the way it is, but it still doesn't (laughs) explain anything. And maybe we're getting this. Like maybe we're leading up to this. Maybe this is part of why Spock and Michael don't talk. But what did she do to him, Jess? What could she have done to Spock that is going to explain all of this? Is it going to just come down to Spock didn't like having a little sister? 
No, she Michael Burnham is saying like, no, I did something to him that to make him hate me. And that's why he won't even talk to me. So she's like, she did something to him. Yeah. And does she feel like it sent him into therapy? Because Mm. I feel like she should be feeling a little bit worse if she knows that he is deeply angry at her and then he's in the psych ward and then he killed three people and escaped the psych ward. I feel like if I knew I was the source of a lot of his deep-seated resentment, I'd be carrying a lot of guilt for that. Maybe did she screw up one of his pawn fars? Gross. <laughs> I does it always come back to... Why do, why Anytime we talk about Vulcans, why does everybody come back to they only have sex once every seven years? I don't know. Well, maybe that he was going to pawn far with somebody that she knew, and she's like, oh, no, that uh, you don't want... My brother has cooties. And then... Are you saying uh, that she Spock blocked him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, no, no, no. Believe me, you could do better than Spock. And then he never forgave her for that. I guess that's I guess that's plausible. Um, I I guess I I think that it's Ponfar is an easy scapegoat anytime we're trying to explain something that happened to a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. No, but she uh, talks about something like extremists were were trying that she had to do something to get him mad to protect him from extremists that were coming for her. It's a very convoluted story. It's weird, and I think if we don't get a whole episode that gives us line by line what happened to the two of them, I don't think there's any I don't think there's any way we can keep going with this storyline. We gotta get that very soon. We gotta see Spock and we gotta get some answers very quickly. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that there is a satisfying answer that is out there that we are going to get? Or when we ultimately do learn the truth, it is just going to be frustrating and we will just shake our head. I think every episode that we do not get this explanation, the likelihood that the explanation will be satisfying goes down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think at this point, it's kind of this Vulcan versus human psychopath versus logical. This whole thing is so... It's so entangled and weird and Gordian knottish already. I don't see how we write our way out of this. What about the explanation of the Red Angel? Do you feel like that, that will be equally frustrating? I think the Red Angel is probably going to be a little bit easier to work around. And we've spent a little bit less time with the Red Angel. And the first two episodes did a really good job of kind of putting down what the red angel might want if not where it came from or what it is mm-hmm. and i was actually kind of surprised this episode i thought we were going to get this very linear you know planet of the week the red angel wants us to go here next so we'll go here and the red angel didn't really ask them to go anywhere this week and i thought that was kind of strange yeah uh i feel like that there is uh, not a great explanation for the red angel coming either no but the red angel They've given us a lot less contradictory dialogue to muddy the waters. I think Mm -hmm. the Red Angel can be a lot more straightforward, and it might be disappointing to find out what the Red Angel is, but we're not going to sit there like cocking our heads and going, huh? Mm -hmm. Which the Spock explanation, we might be spending two hours on a podcast trying to unpack that and getting nowhere. I still love Captain Pike. Captain Pike's great. 
Mm-hmm. He's he's the cool captain. He's not like the other captains. Yeah, uh, he's really good. Uh, that in the episode from last week, uh, he was spectacular there too. Yeah, he is. He's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I like that he brings a different energy, and I like that. I like that we're seeing a show with different captains because every show up to this point has been very captain driven. And now mm. it's like, no, this is Michael Burnham driven very much. And we can have a couple of different captains. They're like a defense against mm-hmm. the dark arts teacher show up for <laughs> one season and then they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's a fun way to do it. Who's the next captain? Who will we see next? Yeah. Who's it going to be next time? And I like watching the way that the energy changes under different leadership. I think that's a fun dynamic to explore as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just did you know about the uh, command training program uh, ship marathon? I did not, but that's very weird that they run it under strobe lights. <laughs> hey, you got to be ready for anything. Yeah. Doesn't this seem like if you were epileptic, you would have a really hard time finishing this marathon? Maybe they have a cure for that. Yeah, I guess it is the future. After all, yeah. if you can if you can carry your Klingon baby in an artificial womb, you can probably cure epilepsy. Yeah. I mean, if there's a a robot lieutenant, then anything's She's possible. She's not a robot. <laughs> is she from a robot planet? Is that is that it? No, she's not a robot. Okay. Well, someday they'll explain that. Someday we'll get a backstory. I, I'm I'm good with an episode of just like, uh, like, let's meet every single person. That's uh, all these aliens that work on Discovery. Like Lower Decks? Sure. That'd be fine. Yeah. All right. I, I guess so. I, I like it better when I think we want to take one person and like really blow out their backstory. Kind of like we did last week with, with Joanne, who grew up on the Luddite enclave that made her very well suited to go visit the other planet yeah. um wasn't that a mean name for the luddite enclave well i don't think they were that was their name i think that's descri- that's descriptive that's, that's not slang really that's slang for what they are yeah because luddite is not a nice term it's it's not but i think it is one of those terms that if you are one you might sort of embrace it mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess so yeah, so I I would guess I would guess it's probably okay if that's how she described it. She probably mm-hmm. had to volunteer that information. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when they have an away mission, it's a good opportunity to take somebody from the from the B cast and put them up there to the A cast for one episode. Mhm. Like, we're doing an away mission, okay, this time, Lieutenant Ariam, why don't you come with us? And while we're on our way to the surface, why don't you tell us where you came from and why you're not a robot? Mm-hmm. I'm here for that. That's I, one at a time. I don't think we need a whole episode where we just, like, this person, this person, this person, this person. That's less interesting. Let's, especially given the nature of how we tell the story on Discovery, we have to weave it into the arc. Jess, did you see in the preview for next week that it looks like Tignataro is back? Yes, and I'm super excited. Yes. So we we have no idea what they're like. Who's a one off? Who's 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 in the storyline? Yeah, I don't know what Tignataro's deal is now. Is she going to be on the show all the time or is she? Maybe she's the Red Angel. You know, she can do no wrong in my book. So maybe she is an angel. Yeah, we're just hanging on for dear life here. 
could be, or it could be like there'll be a big reveal that she's secretly the secret species that the Red Angel is. Mm-hmm. And she was surgically altered to look like a human. Okay. I, I don't know. But <laughs> I, I'm just happy she's back, and I think I'm totally okay with it if she's still on the ship when we just don't see her every episode. Because she wouldn't be on bridge crew. She'd be in engineering. And, you know, every so often something breaks, you call her. You didn't see Scotty all the time either. Mm-hmm. Or Jordy. Or Jordy. Yeah. So, yeah. I or think, Chief O'Brien. Yes. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. you did see quite a bit more of Chief O'Brien at that point because they were fleshing out his character and they had to send him down to planets to get tortured all the time. But <laughs> I think if she wants to just be somewhere inside the ship fixing things and then every so often she emerges to bring her deadpan wit and grace us all with her presence, I'm totally I'm totally good with that. It's fine. Yep. It's good. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on here, Rob? No, I I wasn't as down on the episode uh, overall. Uh, I ended up watching the uh, the two of them the, the last two episodes today. I think that probably uh, last week's episode was the was the better one, but I wasn't like uh, w- watching this one uh, and was uh, super hard on it. I just like uh, there's a lot of things I was um, what what is ha- what is happening? What is this? Yeah, it it just got a little weird. It was it was I think after last week's. Really great classic Trek throwback. It was hard to get back into full-on bonkers discovery mode again. And so I think we're going to have to correct a little bit as we move forward. Okay. So you can find all of our terrific coverage of this and other shows at postshowrecaps.com. We really love hearing from you in all the different ways that we do hear from you. Uh, you can leave a comment on the episode page at postshowrecaps.com. Just go and find it there and leave us a long comment. You can also tweet at us. Um, you can find me at Haymaker Hattie and you can find Rob at Rob Sesterneo. And please come back the rest of the season for all of this content. And we have lots of coverage coming up over on the Rob Has website. Survivor's going to be starting up soon. Celebrity Big Brother is apparently going on. I'd like to not yes. think about that. <laughs> yeah you're lucky i i'm glad that i can i'm glad i have the option not to watch it yes well uh, look this is good and this bad you know it's offensive if it's your thing or not you take the good and you take the bad rob mm-hmm. that's what i'm given to understand so i want to thank everybody for listening and We hope we'll hear from you regarding all the things we got wrong this episode. If you have complaints about the coverage itself, you can direct those to at pineappleboy27. That's right. He's doing the Lord's work. He's doing Mm -hmm. the work of the Red Angel, Rob. (laughs) Yes, all religions. Yes, it encompasses all. Um, So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.